Welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are back in Westeros, and we are doing our very, very first solo episode centered around A Song of Ice and Fire. Also kind of centered around Game of Thrones, but this is definitely going to be a more more of a book-heavy episode. And we're going to be talking about Lord Varys. And we're going to be talking about Lord Varys from a transgender perspective, because uh, as somebody, I feel a certain kindred uh, spirit toward Varys, as uh, we are both people who were born with testicles that we no longer carry around with us. Now, Varys is a eunuch. He's a castrated man. I am a uh, transgender woman. I've been called a lot of horrible things in my life. I've never, thankfully, been called a uh, eunuch. And I don't... I, I kind of looked into whether that was used as an insult against transgender women. I should get a lot of a lot of different insults, but some of them are clever. Haven't heard that one, but uh, you know, part of the beauty of of a song of ice and fire is when when you re when you uh, return to it time and time again. As a lot of uh, hardcore fans, certainly fans who listen to a podcast all about the series. Uh, it it changes. You notice things. You pick up on certain. You know, George R. R. Martin has a. He loves to reuse phrases. He's very descriptive. Uh, pretty much any any sort of feast scene that he's writing is full full of details. So you say like, "Gee, this book's a thousand pages. Maybe if you cut out all the the food descriptions, maybe it would only be six hundred. I don't know, but." When it comes to Varys, or Varys, we'll just use them interchangeably, uh, he's, he's this kind of character who is uh, shrouded in so much mystery, he's not a point-of-view character, and yet, when I return to the book, it's really kind of a thing where the show with Conleth Hill, uh, where they do a much better job, because the more you kind of, the more time you spend with Varys in the books, the more you kind of realize that, that George R. R. Martin, for all of his prowess as a, as a author, he writes fairies for, for lack of a better word, he writes him often just really like a raging homo. And I, I don't, I feel a kindred spirit, you know, if you're not in the LGBT community, don't go around using that word. But I couldn't really, as I went through all of this stuff, I just, there was no other word for it. I just kind of uh, compiled uh, a list of, of varies is what I call homo antics uh, of, of George R. R. Martin, a straight man, writing Varys in the most effeminate way possible of his powder and lavender. And, you know, some of that some of that does serve a good purpose. It serves the idea that he's a spy master. He has set sort of a baseline level of his appearance so that when he puts on a disguise, you don't think it's him because you don't smell lavender. You don't see, like, a very flamboyant man. And yet I'm, I'm still kind of reminded that the same kind of holds true for Dario... Well, it definitely holds true for Dario Naharis in the show, but... You look at him in uh, the show, and it's it's a much more muted. Uh, it's a much more he's a much more serious character, and that's not to say that he's not a serious character in the books. But I think George R. R. Martin undercuts him. So before, so we're gonna do a close reading of uh, a lot. I have a lot of different. We're gonna cover a lot of ground here. I have a lot of chapters with quotes. We're gonna do a bit of a close reading. We're gonna go through. Uh, some of these will be longer passages, some are just little quips. Uh, we'll try to, you know, move quickly. But before we get into all of that, I do just want to emphasize, I am not, this episode does not exist as a way of saying that George R. R. Martin is a homophobe. I don't think that he's a homophobe. I've talked about in, uh, particularly with our Peaches of Renly Baratheon episode, how, uh, the Rainbow Guard, saying that that has nothing to do with the fact that Renly is gay, 
little 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 bit too much of a coincidence that that kind of flies in the face of what we knew about the rainbow rainbow flag in the 90s this book was written in the 90s writing varies in a way that sort of emphasizes what an effeminate man he is you know nobody would really see it it's it's done in a way that definitely is stereotypical cartoonish over the top we can say all of that and and not not say that George R. R. Martin did this with malice. The, you can find a lot of other characters who are written in a totally over the top way. I mean, how many times does Tyrion waddle throughout the series? Uh, Brienne certainly he picks on her appearance. I mean, and I, I, I also wouldn't call him an equal opportunity offender. It's not like he goes after Eddard or, or John's appearances all that much. Uh, so I mean, it's it's not totally. You know, it, it is what it is. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. And you know, you don't you can look at this stuff, you can say, Okay, this is really not his finest hour and not say, Oh my god, what an evil man. I'm not this is not an indictment of George R. Martin. I love him. This is there's a reason that I, I wanna sit here and do this. I've spent hours compiling all this stuff to do it. We're gonna do this with love. I'm not I'm not here to say that George R. R. Martin is uh homophobic. The two books that we're really gonna cover most of this stuff that I, I found are in A Game of Thrones and A Clash of Kings. Far less in A Storm of Swords. And then, obviously, Varys isn't in A Feast for Crows. And Well, he isn't in it. There is some. He does contribute some dialogue They uh, would, when Jamie's remembering uh, letting Tyrion loose in A Feast for Crows. So he does, like, kind of, quote-unquote, appear. But it's 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 a flashback. And then uh, Dancer Dragons, he pops up at the tail end to... Uh, Vroom, vroom. Crossbow first into Grandmaster Pycelle and then into Kevin Lannister. Uh, I I kind of have a soft spot for Pycelle, but I mean, really good riddance to them both. I would also note that I looked a lot at I I mean Varys is is clearly the most prominent eunuch, but uh, Strong Belwas is also a, a major eunuch. Uh, a lot of the kind of effeminate fe- critiques that I would levy against Varys, they do not apply to they do not apply to Strong Belwas. They do not apply to the Unsullied. I mean, the Unsullied are, are ridiculously unrealistic characters. Uh, you don't make a great fighting force by cutting off somebody's... Testosterone is very powerful. There's a reason all steroids are essentially based around increasing production of testosterone. You you, you can't really have a great fighting force, all of people who have, have literally never gone through male puberty who have been have had all of their parts cut off. So uh, we don't need to totally get into that. I do have a quote from A Storm of Swords uh, we'll get into later that's really... Betrays George R. R. Martin's lack of uh, knowledge centering around endochronology, which is a complex subject. But uh, anyway, let's dive into the text because that's really where we're going to have the most fun. So we're going to start off with a Game of Thrones. We're going to go to Catelyn Four. Also, a uh, quick note: uh, I will I will list all of the uh, chapters that we cover in the episode descriptions. I'm not going to include page numbers. I used a combination of I have the Clothbound set that was released. Uh, couple years ago i gave my sister my reading paperback copies uh i also used a moby copy on on oh the kindle app on on my laptop uh just to when i was looking for specific quotes and all of that i do recommend you know if you want to follow along with us you're highly recommended to follow along uh you know page numbers all of that as an academic it can be helpful to kind of like take that direct route to go there I think kind of like searching searching stuff out and trying to get a broader context of not only uh, sort of the quote that you're looking for, but what's happening around it is, is very important. So dive into the text. It's fun. 
So, uh, Catelyn 4, which is, uh, Caitlin goes to, Catelyn goes to King's Landing to inquire about the dagger, which obviously was Joffrey, but she doesn't know that yet, and I don't think she ever does know that. But, uh, so she meets with Littlefinger, and there's a little quote where she's talking about the, uh, the spider. I mean, Varys is known as the spider. It's not really an insult. He's, he's got his, uh, mystique about it. And, I mean, that kind of plays into how eunuchs... It's funny. Eunuchs are portrayed as... Uh, historically, eunuchs were uh, cut because it would make them more trustworthy to serve in royal households. Here, people understand they need varies, but, I mean, very, very few people trust him. And even the people that do kind of rely on him, uh, you, you know, Eddard, Tyrion, to a lesser extent, Cersei, they all know that they cannot really trust this guy. So, what we've got... She mentions the spider, and uh, Littlefinger says, You don't want to call him that. He's very sensitive. Comes of being a eunuch, I imagine. This is kind of the first point where, where being trans helps in uh, understanding varies. Not having test I mean, you would have emotional change. I, I am somebody, when I was transitioning, uh, it was kind of a multi-step process to get on HRT. I first started with one tablet of estrogen to see how my body handled then uh, some people use Spiro. I used uh, Dutasteride, which is a testosterone blocker. That's really where, where you're cutting off the flow of uh, testosterone production. And uh, th that later happened when I when I had bottom surgery. Uh, part of that was an orgiectomy, orgi which uh, removes them completely. And that actually, I mean, after bottom surgery, about uh, 10 days after, I kept waking up in this puddle of sweat, which is... Uh, really not fun when you share a bed with your partner and you're waking up constantly in, in pools of sweat. You can't really just roll over. But um, I called I called the people. I called my uh, bottom surgery. Uh, I called their office and I'm like, why is this happening? And they said, your body's purging the rest of your uh, rest of your testosterone. Anyway, back to the point of of the uh, of this passage. He's saying, you know, he's sensitive. Comes with being a eunuch. Lack of testosterone really on its own doesn't make you more. Uh, sensitive, uh, that's probably a bit of a stereotype. Estrogen increases your serotonin amount. I'm, I'm not a doctor also, so don't, don't take this all uh, 100%. This is really from experience, and then also a bit of a deeper understanding of background knowledge. Estrogen would make you more sensitive. This also kind of applies to his uh, soft hands. Although, I mean, to play devil's advocate, we could also say maybe he has soft hands because he doesn't labor a lot because he's really part of the... He, he's a working essentially he works for the crown but uh he did he did work a lot before he got there so is it realistic maybe maybe not so we've got uh is he is he gonna be sensitive because of because uh, he had his his uh, balls cut off maybe I think that's probably a little bit of a stereotype but then we got on the next page in Catlin four he's described as plump. Which which would be actually uh, having no uh, sex hormone, whether it be testosterone or estrogen, that would uh, make you gain weight. Your your metabolism would slow down. Uh, he, he varies description as being plump and all of that. Accurate. He says plump, perfumed, and powdered. And this is really so. The powdered is. You can find a few isolated instances where other characters are powdered, namely uh, Lysa and uh, also Sansa. The overwhelming 
instances where people are are using powder within all of the text and and discounting ones where powder is obviously meant to kind of uh, be used for magic, uh, like Miriam Asdor or uh, gunpowder, basically, uh, not literal gunpowder, but uh, when it's being used for powder like makeup, it's always, always, always varies. And we have a lot. We're gonna get to a lot of these. Plump perfumed powder. He wore a vest of woven gold thread over a loose gown of purple silk. And on his feet were pointed slippers of soft velvet. I mean, just just sit there. He wore a woven gold thread over a loose gown of purple silk. And on his feet were pointed slippers of soft velvet. George R. R. Martin is, is painting this man in basically the gayest terms possible. He is very much, he's leaving really no doubt as to Varys' sexuality. And this is in stark contrast to how he's portrayed in the show. Look it up, look it up, a nice image of, of Varys on your, on your phone. He, he's not dressed in this outlandishly cartoonish, uh, just, just sort of nonsense. Then <laughs> late, later in Catelyn 4, the eunuch spread his soft hands. I have incredibly soft hands, but that's from estrogen. It's not because I don't have balls anymore. A little ridiculous. Just teensy, teensy bit. Then we got another one. Varys giggled like a little girl. Hmm. Hmm. Seems a little over the top to me. I don't know. A little bit. Uh. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Edward Four. We have Littlefinger again. He's talking about Varys. I hold the man's balls in the palm of my hand. Or would if he were a man or had any balls. You know... This is a uh, little, uh, little ridiculous. And actually, sort of similar, Eddard and Varys have a friendship that kind of develops over the course of A Game of Thrones. In this, in this chapter, in Eddard 4, early on in his uh, time as Hand, uh, Ned notes he likes Varys uh, least out of the uh, counselors. He does not, and, and that's less than Pycelle, who I, I don't think we have a single point of view character in any part of the books that likes Pycelle. So, to, like, Vivari's less than Pycelle is uh, pretty, pretty bad. And, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I hold the man's balls in the palm of my hand. Or would, if he were a man or had any balls. Ay, ay, ay. That, you could tell that chapter was written by a man. And we, we don't need to get into the show how many dick and ball jokes D&D wrote. There are a lot. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to Eddard 5. Ned goes to, uh, this is this chapter's, uh, Ned goes to Pycelle to inquire about John Aaron's death. We've got the true detective part of A Game of Thrones. And, uh, Pycelle says about, uh, about what John, John Aaron, uh, his murder, he says, Such a manly man has little love for sneaks and spies and eunuchs. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can gather that, uh, John Aaron did not have a lot of love for Varys, who had served the, uh, he had served the Mad King, and then he served Robert. A little odd that they would keep the spider on. I mean, we see this a lot in politics, though. Somebody, somebody who you, you don't necessarily trust, but you don't want to get rid of them, because they got a lot of dirt. Although, at the beginning, you know, Stannis later on, uh, notes that, uh, that, that Robert's, uh, that his reign, the rot, began with Varys, Eunuch should never have been pardoned. I mean, he's probably right. If there was a time to get rid of Varys, it definitely would have been then. Also about uh, Varys, Pycelle says, The Lord Varys was born a slave in Lys. This is still at Art 5. Did you know? 
Put not your trust in spiders, my lord. There was scarcely... That was scarcely anything Ned needed to be told. There was something about Varys that made his flesh crawl. Is, is Eddard homophobic? Yeah, probably. He doesn't like Varys for basically... He, he likes Varys less than Pycelle. And Pycelle is far less trustworthy than Varys. Pycelle is a swamp creature. When you drain the swamp, you need to get rid of him probably more than Varys. That dude served, I think it was like Seven Kings. Ridiculous. Yeah, that, uh... <laughs> so, and, you know, Ned's obviously not going to push back, but he says, I'll remember that, Maester, and thank you for your help. I have taken enough of your time. That's something about Varys that made his flesh crawl. I mean, his, his outfit is... I mean, let, you can just kind of imagine him... What does it mean that he's walking around with powder all over his head? And that's that's really kind of why this episode exists. I, I, I can't wrap my head around how Varys is really supposed to look in the book besides like I, I feel like you almost couldn't if you were uh doing like a, a, a direct book adaptation I feel like you couldn't draw varies these days to s- how he's described because it would just be so over the top and there'd have to be an editor who would say like eh, I, I don't know if like is this guy gay like I, I don't know if you want to do this anyway so we go to Eddard 7. Uh, Varys visits Ned in disguise to hide their meeting from uh, the Lannisters. And this is a little bit after the turning of the hand, which, of course, Ned did not want to happen because it was going to be too much money. Whether if you're scra- you know, you should ask Varys to plan the party. Gays definitely throw a good party. And the quote, Ned filled two cups with summer wine and handed one to Varys. I might have passed within a foot of you and never recognized you, he said, incredulous. He had never seen the eunuch dress in anything but silk and velvet and the richest damasks. And this man smelled of sweat instead of lilacs. Now, this is Varys putting his his mummer's uh, farce on. He knows how to change his disguise. We'll give George R. R. Martin some credit. The -the over-the-top outlandishness does serve a purpose, in, in certainly towards this point. You can argue, you know, does he go over the top? That that's that's a, a fair point to discuss, but you can't say, oh, he was just doing it to get a laugh. I mean, the the ball stuff, yeah, sure. He just he's not a man. Yeah, that kind of stuff we could uh, be less forgiving of. So in response, Varys Varys spread his hands. I will make another confession, Lord Eddard. I was curious to see what you would do. Why not come to me? You ask, and I must answer why. Because I did not trust you, my lord. Varys says, you know, you did not trust me. Ned was frankly astonished. The Red Keep shelters two sorts of people, Lord Eddard, Varys says. Those who are loyal to the realm and those who are only loyal only to themselves. Until this morning, I could not say which you might be. So I waited to see, and now I know for a certainty. He smiled a plump, tight little smile, and for a moment his private face and public mask were one. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of playing into the sort of conniving, unique uh, trope. It's just, I mean, it's good. This is this is establishing Varys as a, uh, you know, the master player. We can say, oh, maybe he's full of shit. He's just playing the long game. Varys, Varys is playing the long game. He's playing also many cards. You know, it, it's kind of an open question if in 1996, George R. R. Martin had... Uh, Aegon or Fagon on his mind. We don't really know. It seems kind of weird that I, I, I hesitate to think he did a, a billion, you know, so much long-term planning with with Aegon, given that there's really 15 years of time difference between the two. Maybe he did. 
certainly by Clash of Kings, there's there's references with the Mummer, Beware the Mummer's Dragon. So it's certainly possible. I I I like to also think that probably with Varys, he he was genuinely rooting for Lord Eddard and and maybe Aegon. I mean, Aegon is always kind of an unrealistic, much harder option to do. So Varys is certainly somebody who is going to play a lot of people at one time. And this is a great example of that. So then we've got, uh, we, we're going to move on to Eddard Eight, still in a Game of Thrones. And this chapter, we have Eddard arguing with Robert over uh, the uh, hit that he's put out on uh, young poor young Daenerys. So Robert says to Ned, Then let it be on my head. So long as it is done, I am not so blind that I cannot see the shadow of the axe when it's hanging over my own neck. Ned responds, there is no axe. There is no axe, Ned told his king. Only the shadow of a shadow, 20 years removed, if it exists at all. To which Varys jumps in and says, if, Varys asks softly, wringing his powdered hands together. What do, I, imagine that. What's he just sitting there, there's powder dripping off of his hands. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, what the, what, what is he using why is he covering his hands in powder? I mean, is he, you know, giving handies out, you know, right before the meeting? I, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 you'd almost think we'd be, you'd almost think we'd get an explanation. Wait, who, who walks around with powder all over their hands? Why is this happening? It's just, it's, is, is it homophobic? I don't know. It's, it's weird. And then. <laughs> back to the quote. My lord, you wronged me. Would I bring ties to king and council? Ned looked at the eunuch coldly. You would bring with us the whisperings of a traitor half a world away, my lord. Perhaps Mormon is wrong. Perhaps he is lying. Sir Jorah would dare not deceive me, Varys said with a sly smile. Here's the sly eunuch again. Rely on it, my lord. The princess is with child. Yeah, sly. We're, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little weird. So next we go to uh, Eddard Eleven, and this is, uh, so Ned is on the Iron Throne, he's hearing petitioners, and this is where he sends uh, the really the great love duo of uh, the show, sadly, uh, doesn't happen in the books, but we have uh, uh, Beric, Dondarrion, and Thoros, he's commanding them to go to the Riverlands. And, uh, Vary starts off the conversation, he says, you are bolder man than I, my lord, the eunuch said softly. How so, Lord Varys? Ned asked brusquely. His leg was throbbing, remember, he fell off his horse, and he was in no mood for games. Had it been me up there, I should have sent Sir Loris. He so wanted to go, and a man who has the Lannisters for enemies would do well to make the Tyrells his friends. Sir Loris is young, said Ned. I dare say he will outgrow the disappointment. And Sir Illyn? The eunuch stroked a plump, powdered cheek. Again, just visualize that. What is a plump, powdered cheek? I mean, give me a break. He is the king's justice, after all. Sending other men to do his office? Some might construe that as a grave insult. Plump, prouder cheek. Give me a break. What a joke. <laughs> you just go through all the Varys stuff again and again, and you see that kind of stuff. I just think, like, what What was what was George R. R. Martin thinking when he wrote this? I don't know. Was he thinking about anything at all? Then we go to Eddard 12, and Eddard is, uh, Pycelle has... Pycelle is tending his wounds. That's always a great idea. And Varys, uh, Varys looks at Sir Barristan and says, I wonder, Sir Barristan, asked Varys so quietly, who gave the king this wine? 
Ned had not heard the eunuch approach, but when he looked around, there he stood. He wore a black velvet robe that brushed the floor, and his face was freshly powdered. Again, like, we actually, we get to see Varys' chambers. We'll get to that when we do, uh, in, in a bit with uh, Storm of Swords. But he does not have a great apartment. He does, apparently, he doesn't have a makeup stand. What's he just walking around powdering his face? Like, just lathering himself in powder could you imagine the show if if this man is walking around there's powder dripping off of his hands you know maybe he's got something a little sticky on the side of his cheek i don't know it's a mess it's a it's a ugh. anyway <laughs> ugh. Wait, later that chapter we are still on edard 12 and uh when Littlefinger is talking about varies varies hinted as much Littlefinger said and you have just confirmed it Damn Varys and his little birds. Cantlin spoke truly. This man has some black art. I mean, he's pretty much a good spy. I mean, I think pretty much any journalist could be Master of Whispers. Especially if you can pay your sources. I do not trust him. Excellent. You're learning, Littlefinger leaned forward. Yet I'll wager you did not drag me here in the black of night to discuss the eunuch. That one's not so bad. But then now we have uh, we have Eddard fourteen, where Eddard is. Uh, he's supposed to be protector of the realm. Varys entered in a wash of lavender, pink from his bath. His plump face scrubbed and freshly powdered, his soft slippers all but soundless. The little birds sing a grievous song today, he said as he seated himself. The realm weeps. Shall we begin? He enters. <laughs> He enters in a in a wash of lavender. I mean, honestly, he's he's like kicking down. He he's entering the stage, and it's almost like you're like Pigpen from the Peanuts, except it's it's like the gayest. There's he's radiating flowers. He's got the Mary Poppins bluebirds around him. You know, you've got uh, Billy Porter from Pose being like the category is Westerosi homo. His plump face. Scrubbed and freshly powdered. I mean, give me a break. Why Why does George R. R. Martin insist upon writing this man in the gayest way possible? A wash of lavender. A wash of lavender. What does that mean? Do you know anyone who's had a wash of lavender? <laughs> I know a lot of gay people. I am a gay person. I have never... I mean, actually, I do... You know what? I have some lavender in the... <laughs> Like in our uh, bathroom, you know, I'm just gonna take a bath. I'm gonna dump lavender. I'm gonna see if if it's. We'll see what a wash of lavender looks like. Anyway, let us go to uh, Senza Four. Grandmaster Pycelle was seated alone at the council table, seemingly asleep. His hands clasped together atop his beard. She saw Lord Varys hurry into the hall, his feet making no sound. I mean, this is kind of important when you think about how is he getting around the tunnels. And yet, at the same time, like, he's this big dude, he's plump, and we're supposed to, like, in, in broad daylight, he's, you know, with his slippers, he's supposed to make absolutely no sound. I'd almost argue it's not really that important of a point to emphasize, because if he's just walking around making no sound, it's it's not like he's being secret, it's it's almost like, rather, he's he's intentionally drawing attention to the fact that he can be secret, so that... You wonder if he's there when he's, when he's, uh, when you can't see him, which is something that the characters are, are frequently uh, Tyrion. Uh, I think Cersei, maybe Jamie too, are, are wondering if he's around listening. 
And they're afraid. That's how you. That's how Varys gets good at his job. He breeds paranoia. You know that one. That one not too bad. We'll go to uh, Edward fifteen. Edward's in his jail cell. They were making great progress. <laughs> the voice was strangely familiar. Yet it took Ned Stark a moment to place it. Varys, he said groggily when it came. He touched the man's face. I'm. I'm not dreaming this. You're here. The eunuch's plump cheeks were covered with a dark stubble of beard. Where did his powder go? Ned felt the coarse hair with his fingers. Varys had transformed himself into a grizzled turnkey, reeking of sweat and sour wine. How did you? What sort of magician are you? A thirsty one, Varys said. Drink, my lord. Ned's hands fumbled at the skin. Is this the same poison they gave Robert? You wrong me, Varys said sadly. Truly, no one loves a eunuch. Give me the skin. He drank a trickle of red leaking from the corner of his plump mouth. How many times do we need to learn that his mouth is plump? Not the equal not the equal of the vintage you offered me the night of the tourney, but no more poisonous than most. At least his plump mouth's happy. Uh, a little bit further down. Ned studied the eunuch's face, searching for truth beneath the mummer's scars and false stubble. He tried some more wine. This time it went down easier. Can you free me from this pit? I could. But will I? No. Questions would be asked, and the answers would lead back to me. Which kind of makes you think, why doesn't the, why don't the answers always go back to him? Ned had expected no more. You are blunt. A eunuch has no honor, and a spider does not enjoy the luxury of scruples, my lord. Would you at least consent to carrying out a message for me? That would depend on the message. I will gladly provide you with paper and ink, if you like. And when you have written what you will, I will take that letter and read it, and deliver it or not, as best serves my own end. Your own ends. What ends are those, Lord Varys? Ugh. I mean, this is this is, this is a great passage. Other than the fact that... Why, why does the eunuch not... Why, why doesn't he get to have any honor? Strong Belwas. I mean, he's gross. He takes dumps when he cuts off people's heads, but uh, he shits on them. I, I would not argue, and he he eats so many locusts that I, maybe he wasn't poisoned. Maybe he just got uh, stomach indigestion from eating all those locusts. I don't know. I mean, Grey Worm has honor. A eunuch. Let's not just say that a eunuch has. Let's not stereotype like that. Why does he have to have no honor? And actually, I mean, a spider does in fact enjoy the luxury of scruples. He's walking around. Like he's dre- like he's going to the uh, Met Gala. I mean, seriously, this is ridiculous. And he's also he. What I like about Varys in this, you know, I've just dumped on a couple things. Uh, just like Strong Bowels took his dump, but uh, gross. He is hyping up his own reputation, and in that regard, it's it's nice to see Varys kind of basking in. The the you know if it's in line with uh, Tyrion saying you know wear your wear your scars and no one can ever use them. So then uh, we're still we're still on the same chapter. We're still in Eddard fifteen. Uh, Eddard says, "Is this your own scheme?" He gasped out of Varys, "Or are you in, or are you in league with Littlefinger?" This seemed to amuse the eunuch. "I would sooner wed the Black Goat of Kohor. Littlefinger is the second most devious man in the Second Kingdoms. Oh, I feed him his." Choice whispers sufficient so that he thinks I am his, just as I allow Cersei to believe I am hers. Which obviously Cersei kind of knows that that's kind of bullshit, as she proves later on. And just as you let me believe that you are mine, tell me, Lord Varys, who who do you truly serve? It's like an Infinity War. What master do you serve? 
That was a halfway decent at the beginning. Doctor Strange impression. It got kind of bad at the end. Very smiled thinly. Why, the realm, my good lord. However, could you doubt that? I swear it by my lost manhood. I serve the realm, and the realm needs peace. You know what? We could say, oh, you know, he's 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 mentioning his, uh, you know, he, he also later says in that that truly no one loves a eunuch. I, I joke about, I love, uh, if you ever seen Top Gun when, uh, when Maverick throws Goose's dog tags into the ocean, I, I've used that gif and said me throwing my testicles into after bottom surgery. I love a good lost manhood joke. I've lost my manhood. I'm not a man. Uh, <laughs> I'll give. Maybe maybe George R. R. Martin shouldn't be the one to to make that reference, but you know, I I, I want to. I'll give him a pass on this one. It's funny. It's nice. I very very rich character. We we should. Uh, you know, let, we should compliment George R. R. Martin, where he does right by this character. It, this is not an indictment on George R. R. Martin. Some of this stuff is ridiculous. Some of it is quite fun. All right, and that concludes our Eddard. Poor Eddard. Well, we had him for a uh, nice, solid uh, 25 minutes. Poor Eddard. All gone. Now we're at uh, we're at Tyrion. Ah, uh, this is Tyrion 9, if I've got my Roman numerals. I do have my Roman numerals correctly. So Tywin has made Tyrion Hand of the King. This is after the battle. Um, he's sending him. He realizes that uh, things are looking like a mess down in King's Landing. Rule, his father said curtly. Tyrion hooted with laughter. My sweet sister might have a word or two to say about that. Let her say what she likes. Her son needs to be taken in hand before he ruins us all. I blame those jacknapes on the council, our dear friend Peter, the venerable Grand Maester, and that cockless wonder, Lord Varys. This is something I've been grabbed. I, I included this one because it, it, it's indicative of... You know, early on, I kept seeing, as I was going through a Game of Thrones, I just kept seeing, the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch. And I kept thinking to myself, like, how often do we have to bring this up? And yet, a lot of times, George R. R. Martin will refer to, he'll be talking about the council, and he'll, be, he'll, he'll need to, he often will lump Pycelle, Littlefinger, and Varys together when including, like, these people walk in, all of that. And he's trying to differentiate them. So, you know, Littlefinger is conniving, sort of uh, smooth-talking, kind of like an Eddie Haskell, uh, Leave it to Beaver type character. Then you got the venerable uh, Grand Maester, old, crotchety, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got the... Varys, with those two, his big descriptor is his lack of penis. So whether that's, you know, great or not, I, I guess, like, some of him emphasizing that this man's a eunuch has to come from the fact that uh, he he's 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 trying to differentiate them from uh, Pycelle and uh, Littlefinger. So uh, yeah, I mean that's interesting. I I don't. That's not a knock. I mean, calling him a cockless wonder. Hey, you know what? There's a lot of mean people in this book. Well, we'll give that one a pass. We're not that that one is. Well, we we won't call that one homophobic. And I'm. It's it's not the the. I got. I'm looking at the next one. We're gonna do. We got got a good one coming up. So uh, that that concludes uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, a lot of really rich. I mean, I like the Edard uh, Varys interactions a lot. Uh, Edard is an idiot politically. Varys makes mincemeat mincemeat of him, and you can almost you can almost just see in real time how much Varys is enjoying himself as he's kind of molding his his guy like silly buddy. And you can also tell that Varys sort of understands that that. 
Eddard, I mean, he, he probably could have been a bit more forthcoming with knowledge to Eddard. And that's to say that I mean, that implies that he has it, the knowledge, suspension of disbelief. I it, it It's an open question because Varys is really good at projecting that he knows everything. And yet we do know that there are things he doesn't know. So could he have helped Eddard out of all of his problems? Maybe. It didn't necessarily... I mean, it did It did behoove him. It didn't behoove him. The dude's a, You know what? It, it's rich. It's interesting to think about. And, I mean, George R. R. Martin has done a great job writing this character, even if there's parts we can kind of laugh about. Like this next one. So we've got... We're starting a Clash of Kings, and we've got... This is uh, Tyrion 1. He's in King's Landing. The eunuch Varys took the letter and turned it in his delicate, powdered hands. No, there's never any really point where he says, you know, this this letter that Varys was touching, it's covered in powder, and it, it's also sticky. <laughs> How kind of Lord Tywin, and his scaling wax is such a lovely shade of gold. Varys gave the seal a close inspection. You know, it's the mark of a true gay person that they can admire good stationery. I would also note in, in general of, of this passage or this chapter, it, it's very interesting that nobody, that not really, I mean, mainly Tyrion and Cersei, don't seem to question that Varys was the one who suggested that they dismiss Sir Barristan, which was a really stupid idea. To play devil's advocate, though, it's not an apparently stupid idea yet. They don't. Actually, I don't think in the books they ever really learn that Barristan is with Danny. Uh, the the show does note that that he's that she's being advised by uh, Sir Barristan and that asshole from the north that we won't describe. Sir Jorah. <laughs> uh, later, we're still in Tyrion one. Very slithered to his feet, smiling in that unctuous way he had. Gay person getting up at brunch to go to go to the bathroom or to, to ask for another one of the bottomless mimosas. And if you're ever at a Silver Lake brunch or in West Hollywood or even, dare say, my native, well, not native, but I live in Long Beach have for about five years now. When you want more of the bottomless, uh, bottomless mimosas, only bottomless if, you, if, if you've if you got the uh, waitress's eye because they're told to cut you off unless you're going to uh, tip better. You have to let them know that you will be tipping well and they should keep the bottomless mimosas flowing. Anyway, still on Tyrion 1, substantive uh, chapter. What's kind of interesting, uh, we, see a, we see a point where Tyrion is kind of uh, uh, jealous where Shay notes, My Lord Varys complimented Chella on her ears and said she must have killed many men to have such a fine necklace, Shay explained. It grated on him to hear Varys, to hear her call Varys my lord in that tone. That was what she called him in their pillow play. He, Tyrion is jealous of Shay's relationship with Varys. And you know what? Maybe Varys is basically Shay's gay best friend. We don't know. And maybe Tyrion, you know, her her lover, is is upset that uh, she has a better relationship with a, a man besides besides. Tyrion, you know, that's that's a dynamic. Not 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 everybody loves their girlfriend's gay best friend. Very sad. We should have more uh, more love of that in the world. A little bit of a tangent. Then uh, you know, they're talking about the uh, the comet and Vari says, "In the streets they call it the red messenger," Vari says. They say it comes as a herald before a king to warn a fire and blood to follow. 
The eunuch rubbed his powdered hands together. I mean, is he? Does he have a pocket that he's carrying the powder? Because this is the same, the same chapter, and his hands are still covered in powder. Just, just visualize that. If you, if you think that this whole episode is so asinine, I'm coming out of left, left field, and I'm picking at straws. Just, just imagine that. And here, so we have the start of uh, one of Varys' most famous uh, riddles. So he says, May I leave you with a bit of a riddle, Lord Tyrion? He did not wait for the an answer. In a room sit three great men, a king, a priest, and a rich man with his gold. Between them stands a sellsword, a little man of common birth and no great mind. Each of the great ones bids him slay the other two. Do it, says the king, for I am the, your lawful ruler. Do it, says the priest, for I command you in the name of the gods. Do it, says the rich man, and all this gold shall be yours. So tell me, who lives and who dies? Now, in this book, I mean, in the book versus the show, uh, he answers the riddle later in uh, the uh, in Tyrion 2. But when he says, tell me who lives and who dies, bowing deeply, the eunuch hurried from the common room on soft, slippered feet. Now, I tweeted about this. If, you're, if, you're, if you saw my tweet and you're checking it out because of that, I made the point... Imagine, so kind of the beauty between the show and the books, uh, the show can cut to scene when they can cut to another scene when they, when they deliver something that's especially powerful. And that's kind of heightening its uh, dramatic impact. Here, though, he says it, and then he hurries from the common room on soft, slippered feet. So we have this, we have this really powerful riddle, one of the you know, one of the one of the bigger, broader points of the books that pretty much everybody's read them would remember. We had it delivered by Varys, and then he delivers it, and he gets up, and this plump man is then hurrying away on his soft, slippered feet. So we've we've basically got this man delivering his most Im- one of his most impactful uh, moments, and then he's prancing away on his slippered feet. This is this is what they're presenting. This is this is kind of what I'm getting at a mess so now we're uh we're at Tyrion 2 now he's in the tower of the hand he spends a lot of, they have a lot of scenes there where this is probably gonna uh compile most of the rest of the episode Tyrion sat alone sitting at what remained of the fine sweet Dornish wine servants came and went clearing dishes from the table he told them to leave the wine when they were done Varys came gliding into the hall he's not hurt he's not screaming anymore he gliding into the hall wearing flowing lavender robes that matched his smell once again once again we have a raging homo and he's probably got his powder in his i'm surprised he's not carrying a purse to be honest the way that he's being written here another great imagery various notes the storms come and go the waves crash overhead the big fish eat the little fish and i keep on paddling <laughs> can you imagine Varys paddling around swimming aye 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 Later on in that chapter, Tyrion did not trust Varys, though there was no denying his value. He knew things, beyond a doubt. I drink and I know things. Varys also knows things, explaining their wonderful friendship. Why are you so helpful, my lord Varys? He asked, studying the man's soft hands, the bald, powdered face, and the slimy little smile. I mean, he's painting the picture of a gay man who beat you out for a great table at brunch. He's sitting there, he's slimy, he's sipping his mimosa, that he's having trouble gripping because his hands are covered in powder, and they're soft, too. (laughs) They're soft and they're powdery. It's not like, uh, maybe, maybe the powder is, um, to help him grip with his soft hands, like, uh, 
the little uh, bag on the baseball mound, a little uh, white bag that they sometimes hit, talcum powder maybe, I forget what it's called. And yet Tyrion, I mean, Tyrion kind of is, is serving as a good uh, reader conduit here because he says, Tyrion, Tyrion smiled, Lord Varys, I'm growing strangely fond of you. I may kill you yet, but I think I'd feel sad about it. I will take that as high praise, Varys replies. What are you, Varys? Tyrion found that he truly wanted to know. A spider, they say. Spiders and informers are seldom loved, my lord. I am but a loyal servant of the realm. And then Tyrion feels the need. This is this is some of the George Arm, lazy. This is some of his lazier writing. And a eunuch. Let us not forget that. I seldom do. People have called me a half man too. Yet I think the gods have been kinder to me. I am small. My legs are twisted, and women do not look upon me with any great yearning. Yet I'm still a man. Uh, that's just kind of mean. It's not nice. Shay is not the first grace my bed, but one day I may take a wife and sire a son. If the gods are good, he'll look like his uncle and think like his father. You have no such hope to sustain you. Dwarves are a jape of the gods, but men make eunuchs. Who cut you, Varys? When and why? Who are you truly? The eunuch's smile never flickered, but his eyes glittered with something that was not laughter. He's taking offense at this. It's not only that he's saying you're not a man. He's he's reducing Varys's sort of print on life, his his mark on the world to his genitals. And this is something that in trans like Varys is not a trans character, and yet clearly I'm speaking about him in, in a defensive posture, as if he's one of my own. And he is well broader. I mean, let's assume that Varys is 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 pretty gay. That's a safe assumption. Uh He's defining him by his genitals here. It's There's something deeply messed up about that. You know, you have no such hope to sustain you. This is a really reductive opinion that George R. R. Martin is, is posturing here. And it's the same thing that women hear all the time, you know, when people want to go in and have uh, their tubes tied or other procedures, oh no, you might want children. They don't get to have agency over that. You're, you're viewed as kind of wrong if you don't want children. There's been a lot of tweets about this lately too, and it's 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 defining people by their ability to to reproduce. And often transgender, uh, anti-trans transphobia, anti-trans discourse is centered around, well, trans women can't can't reproduce. There's a lot of cisgender women who can't reproduce. So it's reductive. This is this is not George R. This is nineteen ninety eight. I think this is not George R. R. Martin's finest hour. This is really an ugly thing to write of him. And it, it it's ugly. There are a lot of people who probably would glance over this and say, "Well, Varys is a eunuch. Who the fuck cares?" This is really not nice. It's 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 ugly. So we will be moving on to Tyrion three, and this is uh, the reacting to Stannis has sent his uh, letters that nobody cares about saying. All about the accurate incest. It's kind of fun. I mean, it, it, it begs the question, you know, what did he expect that would care about this crap? Anyway. The queen was not disposed to wait on Varys. Treason is vile enough, she declared furiously. But this is bare-faced naked villainy, and I do not need that mincing eunuch to tell me what must be done with villains. Mincing eunuch. Homophobic. Without question. Uh, also in that chapter. Once more, Littlefinger supplied the answer. Whores love to gossip, and as it happens, I own a brothel of three, and no doubt Varys can plant seeds in alehouses and pot shops. Is he talking about dispensaries? No, obviously not, but let's, let's, it's fun to think that he is. Varys, Cersei said, frowning. Where is Varys? I have been wondering about that myself, your grace. 
the spider spins his secret webs day and night. Grandmaster Pytel said ominously, I mistrust that one, my lords. And he speaks so kindly of you, Tyrion pushed himself off his chair. As it happened, he knew what the eunuch was about, but it was nothing the other counselors needed to hear. Uh, later that chapter, uh, Varys did not look like himself. Did not look at all like himself. A scarred face and a stubble of dark beard showed under his spiked steel cap, and he wore mail over boiled leather, dirk, and short sword at his belt. He's asking about uh, was uh, Chataya to your satisfaction, my lord? Even his walk is different. Tyrion observed. Once again, his murmurs were in play. The scent of sour wine and garlic clung to Varys instead of lavender. And again, this is important. He's noting that, you know, he's used to smelling lavender. He does not... I like this new garb of yours, he offered as he went. The work I do does not permit me to travel the streets amid a column of night, so when I leave the castle I adopt more suitable guises than thus live to serve you longer. Leather becomes you. You ought to come like this to our next council session. Your sister would not approve, my lord. Yeah, because it sounds, uh, my sister would soil her small clothes. I mean, is he wearing the kinkwear? I don't know. Sounds sounds like maybe he was. Then Tyrion, uh, once again, kind of, uh, playing into the conniving eunuch, uh, stereotype. Tyrion let the eunuch help him mount. Lord Varys, he said from the saddle, sometimes I feel as though you are my best, you are the best friend I have in King's Landing, and sometimes I feel you are my worst enemy. How odd. I think the quite the same of you. Moving on to Tyrion 4, and this is where Tyrion has, uh, he's made his trick where he told Varys, Pycelle, and Littlefinger three different things. He's trying to, uh, g- figure out which one's his mole, or which one is leaking. Uh, obviously it's Pycelle. Is that a crow I hear calling the raven black, or would you sooner not hear what I've proposed to Dorne Martell? Varys giggled. Why does he need to giggle? Sansa giggles, not Varys. Oddly enough, they're not really trying to be friends. Wouldn't it be great if we had more Varys sense of chapters? Probably not. Uh, there is another reference to him making his slimiest smile. But the the one thing I would really note uh, in addition with this chapter, we see uh, at the council table, Varys smiled knowingly. Littlefinger sat feigning boredom and Pycelle gaped like a fish, pale and confused. Once again, kind of emphasizing the three of them at once. You know, you, you've got to have Varys sitting there doing something that distinguishes himself from the other two. So then we've got, uh, we're at Tyrion 6, and uh, Sir Alistair Thorne, uh, Tyrion's best friend, has come to uh, ask for some help because uh, they've got some zombies up at the wall. That doesn't sound fun. Sweet Sir Alistair murmured Varys, you must not think too harshly of us. So many seek our Joffrey's grace in these troubled and tumultuous times. More troubled than you know, eunuch. To his face we call him Lord Eunuch, quipped Littlefinger. Odd defense of Varys from Littlefinger. How can we be of help to you, good brother? Grandmaster Pycelle asked in soothing tones. Ah, that's kind of odd. You know, we've got a... Uh, We've got them kind of coming uh, coming to, to Varys' defense. So then uh, later in that chapter, uh, try and remember that. With that little finger left them. Walk with me, Varys, said Tyrion. They left through the king's door behind the throne, the eunuch slippers whisking lightly over the stone. Again, I mean, come on. What? What? Is, like, how are we supposed to visualize this plump man sort of mincing about? Which literally, Cersei just said. Lord Varys has the truth of it. You know the queen will never permit you to send away her guard. She will. You'll see to that. A smile flickered across Varys' plump lips. Once again. Will I? Oh, for certainty. 
You'll tell her it's part of my scheme to free Jamie. Vari stroked a powdered cheek. Ah, this imagery. My God, my God. Ay, ay. Anyway. Uh, later in that chapter, uh, when when uh, Tyrion goes to uh, attack Pycelle, Pycelle clutched for a corner of the blanket. Birds are lost. Messages stolen or sold. It was Varys. There are things I might tell you about that eunuch that would chill your blood. To which Tyrion responds, My lady prefers my blood hot. And then Vary, I mean, uh, Pycelle says, Make no mistake, for every secret the eunuch whispers in your ear, he holds seven back. Well, what are the secrets that would... What are the things that he might tell you at the eunuch that would chill your blood? That's a good question. We don't know. So now we're at, uh, we're at Tyrion 8. I dare say the realm could survive a few less counselors, said Littlefinger with a smile. Dear, dear Peter, said Varys, are you not concerned that yours might be the next name on the hand's little list? Sending him to the wall, potentially. Before you, Varys, I should never dream of it. Mayhaps we will be brothers on the wall together, you and I. Varys giggled again. Sooner than you'd like, if the next words out of your mouth are not something useful, eunuch. From the look of her eyes, Cersei was prepared to castrate Varys all over again. Yeah. Later on the chapter, Varys made a tisking sound. Tis, tis. Uh, other people, I looked it up. Other people do use that, so we won't uh, we won't single out uh, Varys on that. Ah, oh, and then we we have really, truly, truly, truly a horrible, horrible. <laughs> uh, so Varys laid a ha- soft hand on the queen's sleeve. You have a mother's heart, and I know his grace loves his little sweetling. Talking about Sansa. Yet kings must learn to put the needs of the realm before their own desires. I say this offer must be made. They're wedding him to... They're wait, trying to wed uh, Joffrey to Marjorie. The queen pulled free of the eunuch's touch. You would not speak so if you were women. Say what you will, my lords, but Joffrey is too proud to settle for Renly's leavings. He would never consent. You would not speak so if you were women. He, you know, this is like the othering of Ares. He's a eunuch. He's not a man. He has no ability to understand what Cersei's going through, this othering. I mean, it's probably not not surprising. We do have one sort of more homophobic thing in the in the chapter. It was still gray and dark when the meeting finally ended. Vary scurried off his soft slippers, whisking uh, along the floor. I won't read anything from uh, Tyrion 9. That's the riot at King's Landing, uh, but... He does note that, that Varys was of uh, doubtful loyalty and a certain amount of apprehension remain. We are reading. I rely too much on Varys, he really, uh, reflected. I need my own informers, not that I trust them either. He also notes in that my most trusted advisors are a eunuch and a sellsword and my lady's a whore. You know, I mean, Tyrion is a rich character. Tyrion, George R. R. Martin describes him often in kind of gross ways, especially after the Battle of the Blackwater when he's got his scar and he loses most of his nose. It is kind of interesting to see how he uses Tyrion as a way to kind of, like, poke at other people. Next we'll do Tyrion 10. Lord Aries has come to see you, Shay announced. The begging brother blinked at her, astonished. Tyrion laughed. To be sure. How is it you knew him when I did not? She shrugged. It's still him, only dressed different. Maybe Shay thinks with her brain and not, and Tyrion thinks with his, you know what? A different look, a different smell, a different way of walking, said Tyrion. Most men would be deceived, and most women, maybe. But not horrors. A horror learns to see the man, not his garb, or she turns up dead in an alley. 
I mean, George R. R. Martin is saying, you know, not not most. I feel like a lot of women could probably relate to this. Ferrari's like pain did not because of the false scabs on his feet. Tyrion chuckled. Shay, would you bring us some good wine? He might need a drink. Whatever brought the eunuch here in, in the dead of night was not like to be good. I almost fear to tell you why I've come, my lord, Varys said when Shay left him. I bring dire tidings. You ought to dress in black feathers, Varys. You're as bad an omen as any raven. Maybe, 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 maybe he does like to also dress in, as a raven cosplaying. Ugh. Henceforth, think of them as our little secrets, Varys. Tyrion glanced up at the eunuch in his smelly <laughs> mummer's scarf. Uh, oh, and then of course, so this is before the Blackwater. I'm about to cut over this, but this is literally the time when, when, when he was cut. Um, the eunuch paused for a moment. My lord, you once asked me how it was that I was cut. I recall, said Tyrion. You do not want to talk of it, nor do I. But this pause was longer than the one before, and when Varys spoke again, his voice was different somehow. I was an orphan boy, apprenticed to a traveling folly. Our masters owned a fat little cog, and we sailed up and down the narrow sea, performing in all the free cities, and from time to time in Old Town and King's Landing. One day at Murr, a certain man came to our folly. After the performance, he made an offer for me that my master found too tempting to refuse. I was in terror. I feared the man meant to use me as I heard men use small boys. But in truth, the only part of me he had need of was my manhood. He made me a potion that made me powerless to move or speak, yet did nothing to dull my senses. With a long-hooked blade, he sliced me root and stem, chanting all the while. I watched him burn my manly parts on a brazier. The flames turned blue, and I heard a voice answer his call, though I did not understand the words they spoke. The mummer had sailed by the time he was done with me. Once I had served his purpose, the man had no further interest in me, and so he put me out. When I asked him what I should do now, he answered that he supposed I should die. Despite him, I resolved to live. I begged, I stole, I sold what parts of my body still remained to me. Soon, I was as good as a thief as any in Myrrh, and when I was older, I learned that often the contents of a man's letters were more valuable than the contents of his purse. Yet I still dream of that night, my lord, not of the sorcerer, nor his blade, nor even the way my manhood shriveled and as it burned. I dream of the voice, the voice from the flames. Was it a god, a demon, some conjurer's trick? I could not tell you, and I know all the tricks. All I can say is for certain is that he called it and had answered, and since that day I've hated magic and all those who practice it. If Lord Stannis is one such, I mean to see him dead. <sighs> yeah, that's, uh... It's it's powerful. And then, of course, like he kind of undercuts it right after. Finally, Tyrion says, A harrowing tale. I'm sorry, the next side. You are sorry, but you do not believe me. I guess he's talking about magic, yeah. Tyrion doesn't believe the, the magic part. <sighs> it's sad. We learn a lot about fairies in that. He's probably... Maybe he's lying, but he's probably telling the truth. I would be inclined to believe him. You know? I guess it's probably why I'm so defensive of Varys and the way that he's written and all of that. I... You know, when people say, oh, you know, you can just choose to be trans. And if a sister says it, I'm like, okay, dude. Like... What's your what's your knee jerk reaction when somebody's like I'm gonna go cut your balls off? It's not fun if 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 you don't want that. I wasn't like oh my god oh my god, but people say like how could you go through that? I I chose to have bottom surgery. I have a great vagina. We've done if if you're just tuning into this episode, I I've done episodes on 
It's fully functional. That blast came from the Death Star. Well, Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> I have a very fully functional, uh, wonderful vagina. So, ah, uh, I'm happy with all that. Vari's, Vari's much, uh, much different case. And for somebody to have, I know what it's like to lose testosterone. It was a positive experience for me. This was done without Vari's consent. And in that regard, it's uh, very sad. It's sad the way they write him too a lot of the time. So we go to Tyrion. Uh, we go to Tyrion twelve. Uh, Cersei's talking to Tyrion about about Varys. None said Tyrion, but they think to be on the they think they'd be on the winning side, which makes them fools as well as traitors. You're certain you found them all. Varys says so. The Swan was too rich for his taste. A line on Cersei's pale white brow between those lovely eyes. You put too much trust in that eunuch. He served me well, or so he'd have you believe. You think you're the only one he whispers secrets to. He gives each of us just enough to convince us that we'd be helpless without him. He played the same game with me when I first read Robert. For years, I was convinced I had no truer friend at court. But now, she studied his face for a moment. He says you mean to take the hound from Joffrey. Yeah, I mean, Cersei's not an idiot. It'd be great if we had a if we had a uh, chapter uh, point of view chapter for her in a Clash of Kings. Tyrion responds, "Oh, I've known that for a while now. Do you know why Varys is so dangerous?" Are we playing at riddles now? No, he doesn't have a cock. Neither do you. And don't you just hate that, Cersei? Perhaps I'm dangerous too. And they just get into cock play. Go down a few lines. You've never shown much interest in my cock before. It's not your cock that interests me. It's so much of what you stick it in. I don't depend on the eunuch for everything, as you do. I have my own ways of finding out things. Are we to believe these two really smart people are just focusing on... on Cox and all of that. I don't know. It's weak. It's it's not. <laughs> For all we love about George R. R. Martin, this is uh, not his not his finest hour here. Uh, final chapter of A Clash of Kings. Uh, we will do uh, uh, Sands of Eight very quickly. Queen Cersei shimmered in a cloth of gold gown slashed in burgundy velvet, while beside her varies fussed and simpered in a lilac brocade. He simpered. Varys simpered. Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, Storm of Swords. We're in the home stretch. Not as many with Storm of Swords. So we've got uh, we're, we've got Sansa. This is Sansa One talking to Lady Elena. So we've been told, declared Lady Elena, who obviously had no intention of being hushed, that Varys creature seemed to think we should be grateful for the information. I've never been quite sure what the point of a eunuch is, is if truth be told. It seems to me they're only men with the useful bits cut off. You know, that that kind of comment is beneath Lady Elena. It's idiotic. I mean, it's kind of like a girl boss moment to be like, oh, men are only useful for their penises. I don't know. I think a lot of men would be happier, honestly, if they're on HRT. Testosterone, roid rage, all of that kind of... It, people can get a little angry. Ah, Storm of... You know what's funny? I'll say this. I haven't really mentioned this at first. A lot of these things that we've been uh, pointing out over the past hour that are uh, clearly homophobic, all of that, you don't see a ton of them. We are about to do one right now, but you don't see a lot of what I would call homo antics in the Storm of Swords, and especially in the later chapters where Tyrion is Master of Coin and they have small council stuff. He appears a lot in these small council meetings, and then. George R. R. Martin is not going over the top with a lot of this nonsense, and yet this is the this is this is the book where uh, Var, uh, where Tyrion uses Varys' very uncomfortable, unrealistically uncomfortable bed 
to uh, have his have his fun with uh, have his fun with Shay. So go figure. A little odd. Tyrion, uh, we're at Tyrion two, the start of the chapter. Uh, Tyrion is in Varys' apartment. The eunuch was humming tunelessly to himself as he came through the door, dressed in flowing robes of peach-colored silk and smelling of lemons. My ears was Sansa. When he saw Tyrion seated by the hearth, he stopped and grew very still. My lord Tyrion came out in a squeak, punctuated by a nervous giggle. So you do remember me. I had begun to wonder. It is so very good to see you looking so strong and well. Varys smiled his slimiest smile. He uses that phrase a lot. Though I confess, I had not thought to find you in my own humble chambers. They are humble. Excessively so, in truth. Tyrion had waited until Varys was summoned by his father before slipping in to pay him a visit. The next apartments were sparse and small, three snug windowless chambers under a north wall. I'd hope to discover bushel baskets of juicy secrets. I mean, I would expect to find a lot of his wardrobe, a lot of clothes, a lot of fun stuff. Maybe some uh, brightly sequined leotard, something like that. Of uh, juicy secrets to uh, while the waiting, but there's not a paper to be found. He searched for secret passages too, knowing the spider must have ways of coming and going unseen. They had proved equally elusive. There was water in your flagon, gods have mercy. Went on, your sleeping cell is no wider than a coffin. And that bed is it actually made of stone, or it does, or does it only feel that way? Varys closed the door and barred it. I am plagued with backaches, my lord. That's actually probably accurate from the lack of. Uh, he's probably. Got a little bit of osteoporosis, sadly, from uh, lack of testosterone. Human humans really do need you need some HRT. If, if you don't have, if, if you transition, like you really can't go off HRT. You need you need some. Uh, when people go through menopause, they're often. My mother's been prescribed uh, estradiol and progesterone, same as same as I do, because she's getting older. Uh, she okayed me to say that, so uh, I'm free to share. <laughs> It's weird. He says, I'm playing with back aids, my lord, and prefer to sleep on a hard service. Maybe you should contact the MyPillow guy. Go find uh, who, who, find the hidden election fraud. <laughs> I would have taken you for a feather bed, man. I'm full of surprises. Well, so later in the chapter, we have a little bit of... Uh, Here, it is time to put that rock-hard bed of yours to use, I think. The eunuch's mouth opened, then he giggled. Obviously, he giggled. He's, like, he probably enjoys seeing somebody in... Uh, Ugh. Anyway, this chapter also has Varys as uh, potentially a uh, a drag queen. We've got uh, maybe maybe he does maybe he does drag at uh, Littlefinger's brothels in his spare time. Varys, Tyrion slipped inside. Are you there? A single candle lit the gloom, spicing uh, the air with the scent of jasmine. My lord, a woman sidled into the light, plump, soft, matronly, with a round pink moon of, of face and heavy dark curls. Tyrion recoiled. Is something amiss? She asked. Varys, he realized with annoyance. For one horrid moment, I thought you'd brought me the lollies. Lollies instead of Shay. Where is she? Later in the chapter. We need to rid ourselves of Lady Varys first. He's misgendered Varys. <laughs> I am not the sort of dwarf who likes an audience. Mm, I don't know about that. He's gone, Shay said. Tyrion turned to look. It was true. The eunuch had vanished. Skirts and all. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a theme. Getting back to what Lady Alana said, it, it always, in these two particular instances, you kind of highlight uh, the fact that you're never really sure if Varys is there or not. Maybe she was insulting Unix because uh, she knew he was listening. Maybe he was listening. We don't know. Uh, Tyrion 3, we, uh, we'll do a minor one of that. Um, the Eunuch smiled a, a silken smile. I have such delicious tidings for all, you all, my lords. And we don't need to focus on that, but uh, 
I use the word delicious a lot, so uh, especially in film criticism, delicious, delectable, fun stuff. Anyway, Davos 4. Oh, we already kind of talked about that. We've got uh, the uh, Sir Barrison once told me that the rod in King Ares reign began with Varys. The eunuch should never have been pardoned. No more than the Kingslayer. Next, we uh, we skip a couple. We're at Tyrion 8. You have lied to her before. Shall I tell her that? The eunuch sighed. The cuts, cuts more deeply than a knife, my lord. I have served you loyally, but I also must serve your sister when I can. How long do you think she would let me live if I was of no further use to her whatsoever? I have no fear of sellsword to protect me, no valiant brother to avenge me, only some little birds who whisper in my ears. With those whisperings, I must buy my life anew each day. I mean, yeah, Varys is a survivalist. This is really important to note. Pardon me if I do not weep for you. I shall, con I shall but you must pardon me if I do not weep for Shay. I confess I do not understand what... What there is in her to make a clever man like you such a fool, you might if you were not a eunuch. Is that the way of it? A man may have wits or a bit of meat between his legs, but not both. Varys tittered. Perhaps I should be grateful I was cut then. The spider was right. He thinks the spider was right. I don't know. That is uh, very interesting. Once again, uh, we go from... So we're, oh, we're at Tyrion 9 again. We have... I say that there's a, not a lot of uh, homo antics in A Storm of uh, Storm of Swords, but here we have Tyrion 9. Lord Varys, the Herald said, Master of Whispers. Powdered, primped, primped, primped is not a word anyone uses unless it's referring to like a gay person. Give me a break. What a joke. Powdered, primped, and smelling of rose water, the spider rubbed his hands one over the other all the time he spoke, washing my life away. Tyrion thought as he listened to the eunuch's mournful account of how the imp had schemed to part Joffrey, other oh, said his trial, uh, from the Hound's protection, and spoken and spoken with Bronn of the benefits of having Tommen as king. Half-truths are worth more than outright lies, and unlike the others, Varys had documents, parchments, painstakingly filled with notes, details, dates, whole, whole conversation, so much material that its reconciliation took all day, and so much of it damning, Varys confirmed Tyrion's midnight visit to Grandmaster Pycelle's chambers and the theft of its poisons. He also notes, How do I question a little bird, thought Tyrion? I should have had the eunuch's head off my first day in King's Landing. Damn him. And damn me for whatever trust I put in him. And that's kind of how it goes. Tyrion, I mean, Tyrion... Tyrion never really had a ton of great cards to play, and he relied on Varys a lot, but Varys... Varys as Varys outlines uh, in, in Tyrion 8, he's got to kind of lie. He has to serve a lot of people. And now we reach the, uh, I mean, Varys has made a couple of appearances. We don't need to cover them. There's no homo antics, but, uh, Tyrion 11. The eunuch was lurking in the dark of a twist turnpike stair, garbed in a moth-eaten brown robe with a hood that hid the paleness of his face. You were, you were so long, I feared that something had gone amiss, he said when he saw Tyrion. Oh no, Tyrion assured him in poisonous tones. What could possibly have gone amiss? He twisted his head back up, back to stare up. I sent for you during my trial. I could not come. The queen had me watch night and day. Really? I don't think so. I dared not help you. You're helping me now, am I? Ah, Varys giggled. It seems strangely out of place. In this place of cold stone and echoing darkness, your brother can be most persuasive, Varys. You are as cold and slimy as a slug. Has anyone ever told you you did your best to kill me? Perhaps I ought to return the favor. The eunuch sighed. The faithful dog is kicked, and no matter how the spider weaves, he is never loved. But if you slay me here... I fear for you, my lord, you may never find your way back to daylight. 
His eyes glittered in the shifting torchlight, dark and wet. These tunnels are full of traps for the unwary. Yep, Varys, Varys, uh, we, we conclude our time with Varys in, in uh, Storm of Swords, noting that he is a, uh, he's got all the cards here. He's, uh, everyone hates him, but a lot of people need him. On to a, uh, Feast for Crows. We only have a couple here. Cersei won. She must command Lord Varys to find out what he could. That stopped her where she stood. She had forgotten about Varys. Who forgets about Varys? He should be here. He is always here. Whenever anything of import happened in the Red Keep, the eunuch appeared as if from nowhere. Jamie is here, and Uncle Kevin and Pycelle is come and gone, but not Varys. A cold finger touched her spine. He was a part of this. He must have feared the father meant to have his head, so he struck first. Maybe he, maybe he did. Lord Tywin had never any love for the simpering. Once again, he's a sim. Simpering master of whispers. And if any man knew the Red Keep secrets, it was surely the Master of Whispers. He must have common he must have made common cause with Lord Stannis. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they served Robert's council after all. Cersei strode this I mean this is kind of the beginning of her paranoia. Cersei strode to the door of the bedchamber to Sir Marin Trent Marin, bring me Lord Varys. Squealing and squirming if need be, but unharmed. Oh, a little homophobic. So then we've got Jamie this Jamie one is is kind of a Kind of a dense one. My hand is hungry for a sword. I need someone to kill Varys for a start, but I first I need to find the bed rock he's hiding under. I commanded the eunuch to take him to a ship, not to your bedchamber, he told the corpse. Tywin's corpse. The blood is on his hands as much as, as Tyrion's. The blood is on his hands as much as mine, he meant to say, but the words stuck in his throat. Whatever Varys did, I made him do. He had watched he had waited in the eunuch's chambers that night. By playing dress up. When at last he had decided not to let his little brother die. As he waited, he had sharpened his dagger with one hand, taking a queer comfort from the scrape, scrape, scrape of steel and stone. At the sound of the footsteps, he stood beside the door. Varys entered in a wash of powder and lavender. Once again, we got more powder, people. Jamie stepped up, stepped out uh, behind him, kicked him in the back of the knee. That's not nice. Knelt on his chest and shoved the knife up his uh, up under his soft white chin, forcing his head up. Why, Lord Varys, he said pleasantly. Fancy meeting you here. Sir Jamie, Varys panted. You frightened me. I meant to. When he twisted the dagger, a trickle of blood ran down the blade. I was thinking you might help me pluck my brother from his cell before Sir Illyn lops his head off. It is an ugly head, I grant you, but he only has one. Yes, well, if you would remove the blade. Yes. Gently, as it pleased, my lord. Oh, I'm pricked. The eunuch touched his neck and gaped at the blood of his fingers. I have always abhorred the sight of my own blood. That's kind of sad. You love more to abhor shortly unless you help me. Or I struggled to a sitting position. Your brother. If the imp should vanish unaccountably from his cell, qu qu questions would be asked. I would f fear for my life. Your life is mine. I do not care what secrets you know. If Tyrion dies, you will not long outlive him. I promise you. Ah. The eunuch sucked the blood of his fingers. You ask a dreadful thing. To lose the imp who slew our lovely king. Yeah, I would lose that. Or you believe him innocent. Alanis. Jamie. Innocent or guilty, Jamie had said. Like the fool he was, Alanis repays his debt. The word has come so easily. Jamie wondered where Varys was hiding. Wisely, the Master of Whispers had not returned to his own chambers, nor had a search of the Red Keep turned him up. It might be the eunuch had taken a ship with Tyrion rather than remain to answer awkward questions. If so, the two of them were well out to sea by now, sharing a flagon of arbor gold in the cabin of a galley. Yeah, I mean, Jamie kind of forced... I, for a while, I would wonder, you know, why did Varys have to go? Obviously. No one else kind of knows. It, it would... It would feign... 
it would no one no one would there would be no credibility in the idea that that Varys wouldn't have had wouldn't have known what had happened. He was obviously close to Tyrion when he was hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I mean essentially maybe Jamie's responsible for Kevin's death because Varys had to leave and then come back. Who knows? What's kind of interesting, so Cersei, in Cersei 4, uh, she says that Varys had us all believing he was irreplaceable. What fools we were. Once the queen let it known that Clyburn had taken the eunuch's place, the usual vermin had wasted no time in making themselves known to him. I mean, you kind of wonder why... She kind of contradicts that later because um, she's she's dealing, uh, she's at the small council and it says, was there only one son? Sir Harry Swift tugged upon his chin beard brothers. There were brothers, were there not? Varys would have known, Cersei thought with irritation. So she's kind of like, okay, Kyburn is uh, a suitable replacement for uh, Varys, but at the same time, he's also not. So then we got uh, Jamie 3. This is our last uh, chapter of A Feast for Crows. And this is also kind of an interesting one. This is Jamie's thinking about the riot at King's Landing that happened in A Clash of Kings. Yet afterward, alone in the tower room he had been offered for the night, Jamie found himself wondering. Tyric, Tyric had served King Robert as a squire side by side with Lancel. Knowledge could be more valuable than gold, more deadly than a dagger. It was Varys he thought of then, smiling and smelling of lavender. Smells an important, you know, smells sticks with people. The eunuch had agents and informers all over the city. It would have been a simple matter for him to arrange to have Tyrek snatched during the confusion, provided he knew beforehand the mob was like to riot. And Varys knew all, or so he would have us believe. Yet he gave Cersei no warning of that riot, nor did he ride down to the ships to see Marcella off. So it's funny kind of the legacy that Varys leaves. You know, his smells, uh, people still remember that. And they're also kind of, they're not sure if he, they know that, they know that he's not quite the total uh, know-it-all that he portrays himself to be, and yet they're lost without him, and yet they're worried. They see that he's been kind of playing the long game. It's a stark uh, departure from the way that, that Tyrion describes uh, Varys repeatedly in uh, Dance of Dragons, in Tyrion 1, Tyrion 2, Tyrion, and Tyrion 4 as well. He's kind of angry. Tyrion, once he's uh, killed his father, he uh, he says, I've killed my father in the same tone that a man might use to say, I've stubbed my toe. The Master of Whispers has been dressed in as a begging brother in a moth-eaten robe of brown rough spun with a cowl that shadowed his smooth, fat cheeks and bald round head. And yet he, he doesn't really seem to care Varys doesn't seem to care, except uh, Tyrion notes that he probably should have uh, killed the eunuch as well. A little more blood on his hands, what would it matter? He could not say, because he stayed his dagger. Not gratitude, Varys had saved him from a headman's sword, but only because Jamie had compelled him. Jamie, no. Not better to think of Jamie. So Tyrion is kind of taking his outrage out on Varys uh, for... He, he doesn't want to think about Varys. And he also knows that... Uh, well. He Varys done a nice thing. He kind of went out of his way. He didn't just save Tyrion. He sent him to Lyrium Apontis. And how does how does how does Tyrion respond? He says, uh, "Any friend of the Spider is someone I'll trust about as far as I can throw him." Well, he cannot throw Lyrium Apontis very far. It is kind of interesting. I'm thinking. I'm reading the um, the big in Tyrion two in A Dance with Dragons. There's a long, long passage of. Uh, 
describing Illyrio Mapontis. They were young together, two green boys in Pentos. Varys came from Myr, uh, so he did. I met him not long after he arrived, one step ahead of the slavers. By day, he slept in the sewers. By night, he prowled the rooftops like a cat. He's, he's basically like Catwoman. I was near a poor... I was near as poor, a bravo in soiled silks, living by my blade. Perhaps you chanced to glimpse the statue by my pool. Pytho Malanon carved that when I was six and ten. A lovely thing. Now I weep to see it. Uh, a little bit down. But Varys and Myr, he was a prince of thieves until a rival thief informed on him. In Pentos, his accent marked him. And once he was known for a eunuch, he was despised and beaten. Ugh! That's, that's sad. Why he chose me to protect him, I may never know. But when we came to an arrangement, Varys spied on lesser thieves and took their takings. I offered my help to their victims, promising to recover their valuables for a fee. Soon every man who had suffered a loss knew to came to me. While city footpads and cut purses sought out Varys, half to sell his throat, the other half to sell him what they'd stolen. We both grew rich and richer still when Varys trained his mice in King's Landing. He kept little birds. Mice, we called them then. The older thieves were fools. Yeah, Varys, he's smart. I mean, this is peeling back the curtain, kind of showing how he became that way. He's he's a survivalist who then got good at surviving, and then he kind of got to reap the benefits of that. I mean to totally skip over this, but uh, the podcast has gone on for a while, and these are light on homo antics. Alario Mapontis is very, very, very nice to Varys, and uh, you know they're they're noting that uh, secrets are uh, more valuable than than silver, and it's just kind of odd that that Ares, such a like crazed uh, manic guy, would would then decide to trust Varys. But here we are, and uh, he's he's really valuable at that. Three and four. Uh, he says, take your feigned father, Griff, is it? The dwarf sniggered. You should thank the gods that Varys the Spider is a part of this plot of yours. Griff would not have fooled the cockless wonder for an instance, no more than it did me. I mean, Tyr- Tyrion has a lot of mean things to say about a lot of people throughout his voyage with John Connington, so who knows? Uh, in The Lost Lord, Connington notes that uh, Varys, his father sold him to Lord Varys for a, a jug of amber gold. He had other sons... But had never tasted Arbor Gold. Varys gave the piss water boy. Oh, that's not very nice. Sold for a bottle of wine. We also note later on the shame. Or he basically has Connington. Uh, he he basically has Connington fake his own death. Conn- um. So for far so far as most of them were concerned, Connington had drunk himself to death in lice after being driven from the company in disgrace for stealing the war chest. The shame of the lies still stuck in his craw, but Varys had assisted it was necessary. We want no songs with a gallant exile. The eunuch had tittered in that mincing voice of his. Mincing again. Anyway. Not very nice. And on a, we're pretty much at the end. We've got uh Kevin, Kevin at his death does not have a lot of homo homophobic words for uh for Varys. In fact, Var I mean Varys only comes in at the end of the chapter in an epilogue of a Dance of Dragons. But um you know, he says, I'm sorry, Varys wrung his hands, you're suffering, I know. Yet here I stand going on like some silly old woman. Time to make an end of it. It's interesting, like, to hear him say that. I mean old woman stereotype kinda makes sense. It's not like he's going on like an old man telling his story. It's like you could say, you know, yeah, here I stand going on like some like like Pycelle who rambles. He just killed Pycelle, so maybe not that's not the uh best example, but you know, it's interesting. It is also interesting. This this whole episode was very heavy on the first two. We didn't see as much even when Tyrion was kinda cucking Varys by sleeping in his bed. 
his uncomfortable bed. Poor Vardy's in his bed. He has a backache because he needs a Tempur-Pedic mattress. Anyway, uh, as promised, uh, you know, as we start to wrap up, um, I know I noticed I, I mentioned uh, in the beginning, if you're still with us, in the beginning of the episode, uh, there was one point as uh, to bring in my example, uh, bring in my own experience in endocrinology. In A Storm of Swords in, in Daenerys 2, they say, In Yunkai Marine, eunuchs are often made by removing a boy's testicles but leaving the penis. Such a creature is unfertile, yet often still capable of an erection. Only trouble can come of this. We remove the penis as well, leaving nothing. I had a penis when I was on testosterone blockers for about two years. Uh, there are trans, you know, there are trans women who who don't have trouble getting erections. Uh, I, I would tend to say that that you know, not 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 in all instances, but often what that what that boils down to is basically how much is their T being blocked. It's very hard when you're on T blockers to maintain a solid erection. So when George R. R. Martin is saying such a creature is infertile, yet often still capable of erection, that really should be more is possible. And you know, maybe maybe the guy is just you know, maybe the guy just likes cutting off dicks and is uh is just saying that. But uh I mean in 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 the old days, eunuchs were traditionally the the full penis was not removed because uh an orchiectomy and we're also talking pre anesthesia, pre all of that, it is a lot harder to remove all of the bits down there than to just cut off the test. It's a lot more dangerous to, to try and remove all of the things. So, I mean, this is a work of fiction, but that whole erection stuff, that's nonsense. That's not scientific. George R. Martin is not an endocrinologist expert. And some of that is uh, is reflected in the way that uh, as we start to wrap up, you know, I spent a lot of time with, with Vari's over over in preparing for this episode i looked at i looked at basically every every point he was mentioned which was uh close to 200 in the first two books less than 100 in a storm of swords and then i basically covered all of them and uh almost all of them in uh feast for crows and then also a dance with dragons Varys is a fabulous character. There's a reason. There's a reason uh, that that I would do an episode like this, that uh, dedicating hours of my life to going through all of this stuff. But what it all really boils down to is, time and time again, George R. R. Martin went out of his way to paint Varys as a raging homo. I think I've made that case after all of this. And that's not to say that he didn't write a really fascinating three-dimensional character. Varys has a lot of different dimensions. And yet there is some kind of low-key casual homophobia here. The stuff about the dicks. It's to be expected. I mean, it's the 90s. People didn't really... I mean, well into the early 2000s, it was still pretty common in middle schools to hear people say gay is a synonym for stupid. Uh, you know, people would say fag, uh, the longer form of that, all the time. And, you know, that's not to give George R. R. Martin a pass, but to say, you know, he wasn't writing this character with hate in his heart. He's not a bigot. He didn't do it. He it often did not do a great job with Lord Varys, and I think uh, illustrating in a lot of this have hopefully managed to convince... He's still, he's still a great character, and you know what? The show did a better job. They made dick jokes a lot of times that were kind of lazy and silly for a show that won multiple Emmys for Best Drama, having that kind of dick jokes. It's cringy as a trans person. It's cringy to see that. 
And yet, like, the state of uh, uh, media coverage on trans people is a total train wreck. So it's not, it's in the year 2021. So it's not all that surprising in the mid-90s that George R. R. Martin didn't do the best job at this. However, he does get a lot of credit for, for being kind of a bleeding heart liberal, uh, super woke, Vietnam War objector, all of that. LGBTQ rights, his uh, track record is, is, is not as good. It's not as good. And that's not to say, oh, the man's evil. I think he's a wonderful man, but uh, I, I've seen him speak live. I, I really like him. I love his books. There's a reason we do this. But, you know, I, I, I think I think he could have done a better job with Varys. And this is a truly, this is one of the, this is one of the book's great characters. And the show, uh, he's a great character in the show. It's really sad to see him go out the way he did. I think that was really sloppy and all of that. But it's been a book podcast. I think we're done talking. It's been a long episode. But, uh, I, you know, if you like this episode, uh, this is the first one I did solo. We have guests on all the others. So if your big takeaway from this episode, you made it to the end, was less Ian. Newsflash, every other episode we've done has a lot less Ian. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, sticking with us. You know, I I just, I felt a kindred spirit. I, I have, I know what it's like to lose testosterone. And it does kind of make you a more emotional and sensitive. I, I say that as, I, unlike Varys, I was taking estrogen at the time also. So it, it's not super, uh, not super perfect comparison, but uh, there's not a lot of eunuch podcasters out there. So as a trans person, as somebody who has had an orchiectomy, I wanted to stick up for my guy. I, you know, the LGBTQ community... It's not like I'm friends with every gay person I meet, but um, there is a connection on a, on a on a level. Hopefully, I mean some some gay people are assholes, but I wanted to do this and uh, give him a stand up for the guy. Like, Varys is not a okay. Lorio was kind of nice at the end, uh, and the Dance with Dragons about him, but he didn't have a, a lot of people in his corner. So I'll I'll, I'll be in I'll be in Varys's corner, and I hope you are too. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and. Let us know, uh, uh, please give us a review on, uh, Apple or wherever you're listening to this, and, uh, thank you so much for listening. We will, we will see you next time. <laughs>